Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help. Today's Real Recovery Podcast features Dr. Brenda Shoshana, psychologist, therapist, mediator, author, and speaker. Dr. Shoshana offers counseling and relationship mediation, which helps resolve conflicts constructively and discover creative solutions. Her work integrates psychology, spirituality, and everyday life. She has been in private practice for over 25 years, located in Manhattan. She also conducts sessions via telephone all over the country. A speaker and well-known author, her latest book is The Anger Diet, 30 Days to Stress-Free Living, which has won an award for the best book of the year. To find her book, go to http www.theangerdiet.com. The relationship expert on iVillage, Dr. Shoshana, speaks on all aspects of relationships, balance, transition, and living life to the brim. Dr. Shoshana is dedicated to discovering and developing the best in herself and others. Visit her on her website at www.brendashoshana.com. That's www.brendashoshanna.com. Welcome, Dr. Shoshana. We are so pleased to have you as our guest today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Well, thank you. Dr. Shoshana, in your opinion, when and how should you tell someone you begin to date or just become friends with that you are living with depression or bipolar disorder? Well, this is a very wonderful and important question. Some, too many people jump in right away, and that's the very first thing that they'll tell the person. And maybe it seems to loom too large in the relationship. So I would say in the beginning, beginning, it's not necessary to go into all of the details about this and for the person to realize that they do have depression or bipolar illness, but it's only one part of who they are. There's a great other many aspects to their personality that describes them as well. So don't jump in and do this at first. To first get to know the person, just be there and don't. Uh, it's good to reveal these things little by little. Great advice. Thank you very much. Um, when someone is either very manic or very depressed, uh-huh. is it best to avoid close relationships with people or embrace them? Well, you know, that, again, it depends on the individual. When you, if you're very depressed or very manic, it's really hard, of course, to be relating to anyone. If you're feeling upset or feeling a little manic-y, sometimes a relationship and being with others is the perfect thing to balance you out and to feel more connected and not so alone. So it's very important to know exactly how, you know, where on the continuum you are. But by and large, it's good to be with those who are supportive and understanding and non-judgmental. That's always good. Depends who you're with. That makes the big difference. Great. And in your professional opinion, please tell us what you see to be the biggest barrier for people living with a mood disorder when sustaining a relationship with family, friends, or loved ones. Well, I think that the biggest, there are several barriers. The very biggest barrier is feeling bad about yourself and feeling there's something wrong with you and that you're not quite up to par and you're not filling the bill. And that makes you, if there are times you want to be alone or you can't join in the different activities, then you begin to feel bad about yourself about it. You may judge yourself or beat yourself up about it. Number one, I want to say don't do that. Everybody has times in a relationship, whether or not they have a full-blown illness, they have times when they, when they need to be alone. It's okay to take time alone. It's okay to create 
feel that there are times when you just don't want to be with others. It's nothing to judge yourself about. That's one big barrier. Another barrier is not being able to communicate your own boundaries, which, by which I mean saying, gee, I can come to this for an hour, but then I'm going to have to go. Well, I, you have to know what you're comfortable with, and you have to make that okay with you, and you have to communicate that to others in, in an accepting self-accepting way, not like you're explaining, oh my goodness, you know, I, I can't come for more than an hour. That's okay if you, can, if you can come for an hour, that hour is wonderful. And, and that, so that's very important, to know what your limits are and what your boundaries are, and to communicate them to others in a self-accepting way. Great. Those are some excellent, you know, suggestions and tips for how people can, you know, overcome those fears. Um, what suggestions do you have for someone who's, you know, coping with rejection in a relationship? Well, that's, you know, rejection is very painful for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. For, and particularly if we're more sensitive or we have more depression or if we're feeling agitated, then we can blow it up to some great degrees and we begin to make us feel even worse about ourselves. Oh my God, they're, they're rejecting me. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. One of the best ways to cope with rejection is to realize that what that person's behavior says, it says more about them than about you. If they don't want to be in a relationship with you, it doesn't mean that you're not an entirely worthy, wonderful human being, lovable human being. It just means that they may be afraid of getting closer. They may have a wish for something a little bit different. Or it, what they do says more about them than it does about you. Don't take it personally. Don't take it to mean that you've done something wrong, that it's all about you. Because very often it isn't. It's about them, their choices, their fears, their feelings. So if someone is saying they don't want to go forward, focus on what was good in the relationship. Focus upon what it is that you have to share and what it is that you respect and like about yourself. Just build up your own sense of self-esteem and self-worth. And the rejection will just become less less in the foreground and become much more in the background. That's some really great advice because, I mean, as you mentioned early on, everyone has to deal with rejection, whether you're living with a mood disorder or not. So that's some great advice for everyone. For everyone, for everyone. Mm -hmm. Actually, you can become strong from rejection because when someone rejects you, you can just give yourself a lot of love and a lot of respect. And you can say, well, why is this, rather than call it rejection, why not just call it, well, they're choosing something different. Sure, like or learning if I pass by an Indian restaurant and I go to a Chinese restaurant, I'm not rejecting the Indian restaurant. I'm just choosing something different. Sure. Good it's example. Real. I like that. <laughs> it's all how you look at it. Definitely. Um, now, what would you say someone should do when they are not getting the support from a family member or a friend regarding their mood disorder? Well, if sometimes there are people in a family or a friend who are actively toxic towards you. They're, you know, they're, they're pushing you, they're judging you, they're not being supportive. Then it's very important for you to, to, to take some distance from that person. And, you know, you could just make sure that you're with them less. I would kind of, when somebody is not supportive, what I do is I kind of put them a little bit on the outside of my life. I don't, I don't see them as much. I don't interact with them as much. I, and unless I can have a discussion with them, unless they can respect me and respect my situation, Good for them, and it's not good for me. You could even tell them that unless you can respect 
me, then I can't be with you as much. Great. That's excellent. Um, how do you think... Um, how would you maintain a healthy relationship with others without the diagnosis being part of the relationship? Like you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. the main aspect. It doesn't need to be. Yeah, you know, everybody has a diagnosis, but you're not your diagnosis. You're much more than a diagnosis. Yes, you, you're, you're a person with depression. You're not depression. And what else is there about you? You have, you know, I mean, there are many, many, many people who have depression, many more than you would imagine on different ranges of the continuum, right? It's amazing how many people feel times of really depression, wanting to withdraw, and all the different symptoms. So if you could just look at it as part of the flow of life, and that this is something that sometimes is there in your life, but focus on, again, who you are, who else are you? What else have you got to give? What else do you care about? Um, what, what is there about life that's meaningful to you? Take your focus away from the depression. Don't make it your identity. Spend time figuring out, what is my identity? Why would another person want to share time with me? And you know what? I'll give you the biggest tip of all for all relationships. If you focus more upon them than upon you, like what can I do to make them happy? What can I give? How can I share? That takes away a lot of depression because the focus isn't on yourself. It's upon getting out there and and giving to the other. Then you're not so self-conscious and self-aware of your own mood swings. Excellent. I think that's advice that anyone can, you know, everyone. definitely do and achieve. So great. Absolutely, everyone. And you know, if you care, if you care about another person and you love them, and then you're having a time of feeling depressed, and you say, you know, this isn't a good time for me. I'm feeling depressed now, or this or that. That person, how could they not accept it? And if they can't accept it, well, then it's not someone you want to be in a relationship with. There are many people who could and who would. You know, if you had a kidney disorder or if you had some other disorder and you needed time to rest or whatever you needed, anybody in a healthy relationship would accept that and respect that and be there with you and for you in the way that works for both of you. So I think, you you know, if you choose the right partner and you focus upon what you can do to make yourself and them happy, there's no reason why things can't work out. Great. That's excellent. Now, I hear a lot of people say that sometimes they struggle to get their family or friends to understand that, uh-huh. you know, they just don't feel like being social. They don't feel like returning a phone call. Right. And it could be for a few days. It could be for a week. Right. How? What do you suggest that they could um, try to make that person understand it's not them. They just don't have the energy and they right. just don't feel like this talking. It's painful for families or friends as well as for the individual who's struggling with the depression. I think that they just need to really sit down and explain it just the way you did to the family. You know, it's not you. I have a a condition, and there are times when I just cannot return a phone call. I cannot. I don't have the energy. I don't have the ability to do that. It's not that I don't love you. And and when I can, I will. Now, of course, you know, the families get anxious because they want to help. It it makes them feel, well, I'm being left out. And and I order friends, and what can I do to help? So if there is something your family could do to help, let them know. Let them know what you need from them because that will allay a lot of the anxiety in the family member. Say, I need for you to respect me, that I really want to be alone for a few days and I'm okay. Or if you need something else, figure it out. What could they do to be of help at a time like that? Could they come and bring a meal for half an hour? If you knew that half an hour was respected, you could deal with them for half an hour 
and if they would be willing to accept that, then that would be good for both of you. They'd get to see you, and you'd get something in that half an hour, and so would they. So very often when we don't return calls or don't want to connect at all, it's because we have a lot of trouble with making those boundaries and feeling we're going to be overwhelmed by these other people. However, if you can be clear about making a boundary and having it respected, it could be good for everybody, <laughs> the families and the person who's involved. Definitely, and sometimes we even suggest, you know, making a journal of your, you know, day-to-day so that there might be a pattern of, you know, when you're a little more down, you could let your family know or, you know, in your journal things that have helped you to, you know, kind of brighten your mood when you're down. So it's, you know, it's nice to kind of keep track because sometimes you just forget when you're in those down stages. Absolutely. Oh, that's a very good suggestion. Absolutely. You know, when you're in those down stages, the whole world looks bleak and you forget the sun's just right behind the corner, that these are moods like thunderclouds which will come and go. Um, so it's very good to, to let your family know these things. It's very important for you to know it too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. For you to know what is it that helps me at a moment like this and <clears throat> if you can possibly share that, that's great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shoshana. It's been a pleasure to have you. Your insight and information and intelligence will be greatly appreciated by our listeners. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure, and I want to know if they need to contact me. My email, I'd be happy to give out my email, is topspeaker at yahoo.com. Great. Thank you. And this has been a DBSA Real Recovery Podcast. been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call 1-800-826-3632. We've been there. We can help.